Right, well, welcome back. Uh, we are in part two of a series called Not According to Plan, uh, and the premise of this entire series is for all of us, inevitably, something in life doesn't go to plan. Uh, in fact, lots of things in life don't go according to plan. Um, in fact, for, for some of you that are here, um, maybe you're here because something didn't go according to plan. You had planned on getting into one school, um, and you didn't get into it, and so you found yourself in Tallahassee. Um, for some of you, uh, maybe you, you went into a program, but you didn't get into it, and so you found yourself in a different program than you anticipated getting into. Uh, for some of you, um, you anticipated getting a job or you anticipated something in life going uh, a little bit differently perhaps than it did. You thought that you were going to have a family. You thought you uh, were going to have a family, but it was going to be a more well-behaved family. Um, you thought maybe it was a little bit you know, more significant than that. You thought um, your family was going to stay together. But for all of us, we have had times in life, and whether it's in, in the macro and the huge implications or the small things, we've all had times that things didn't go according to how we have planned. We talked about this last week. Um, and it's super important to know that be, the reason is, and the reason we've all been through this, and it's a shared experience, and this is frankly true, no matter what you believe, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, is because when we all have a plan... And some of us, our plan is a very exhaustive plan. Your plan is like color-coded on a calendar and you have all the little details highlighted and, you know, perhaps you grew up in a youth group and you, you know, ladies, maybe you had a plan for what a guy looked, you know, the guy that you were going to marry was and he had all of these little things and he was going to be so tall and so handsome and had this job and he was going to do all this stuff spiritually. Um, but for all of us, the reason why things don't necessarily go exactly according to plan is because for all of us, we don't plan pain in our plan. Have you ever thought about that? No one dreams and thinks, man, I can't wait to go through some extraordinary difficulties in life. I can't wait. And part of my plan is extraordinary disappointment. Part of my plan is heartache. Part of my plan is I am not going to go. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to fulfill. I'm not going to accomplish what I originally thought and planned and hoped and dreamed. Or at least it's not going to be in the way that I thought. And if you think about like the trips that went least according to plan, they're sometimes the most memorable. But if you think about the times when things went least according to plan in our life, they are oftentimes the most painful. And so what we want to do is take an honest look and say, you know what, sometimes as a Christian, you follow Jesus as hard as you can. You follow him as faithfully as you can. You follow him as obediently as you possibly can. But the truth about all of our life and the human condition is things don't go according to plan. And the huge problem that I see that we're addressing in most of this series is that I think that God has something for us to lean into when things don't go according to plan. In other words, for many of us, when things don't go according to plan, we have a tendency to be angry. We have a tendency to be resentful. We have a tendency to just think, okay, well, if that's how life is going to go in that area where it didn't go according to plan, I am just going to check out. And isn't this true? If you're in a job where perhaps you thought you were going to be in this particular path or you applied for a promotion and you thought you were going to get it and then you didn't get it, it's so easy to check out. It's so easy to kind of take a step back and not lean into and say, God, what do you have for me in this next little season of life where things don't go according to plan? But I think that there's so much benefit in that. So we went, we're going through the story of Joseph. And if you're brand new to church or you're brand new to Jesus or the Bible, um, then, then Joseph was a guy in the Old Testament, in the book Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Joseph, a lot of his life parallels Jesus, but the story of Joseph is an extraordinary story because Joseph starts off with a dream. 
like a literal dream. He's dreaming one night, and as he's asleep, um, God comes to him, and he speaks to him, and he says, okay, uh, there's like all these grain, and, and Joseph, all of the grain is going to bow down to you. And what he come to, came to understand what that meant was that all of his brothers, his older brothers, were going to bow down to him. Now, his brothers didn't like Joseph because Joseph was one of the younger brothers, but Joseph was the favored brother by, by the, the father. And Joseph's dad basically said, Joseph, you, here, here's, a, here's a sweet new coat. And Joseph, you can wear this coat, which means that Joseph, you don't have to go work like all of your brothers do. And so Joseph being the kind of arrogant younger brother says, brothers, listen to me, listen to this, listen to this. You guys are all going to worship me someday. <laughs> and his brothers did what any good older brother would do. They hated him for it. And then his older brother, you know, he, he had another dream. And as if it wasn't bad enough, when his brothers already couldn't say anything good about him, when his brothers already hated him, when his brothers always, already saw the favoritism and Joseph didn't work like they did, Joseph has another dream and Joseph tells his brothers, guys, I had another dream. It's like, Joseph, get a clue, man. So he tells his brother his, his dream, his brothers hate him more. He tells his dad his dream, his dad says, Are you, do you think that your mother and I are going to bow down again to you? That, that's crazy. And so his brothers do basically what most older brothers would do in that situation. They beat him up. Except for them, they took it a couple steps further. They beat him up, they threw him in a pit, and they sold him into slavery. Now, let me just kind of pause and, and ask this question. So I think to put ourselves in this situation, to put ourselves where Joseph is, we've got to ask some honest questions. What do you do the day after the worst day of your life? Some of you, you know exactly what the worst day of your life was. I don't even have to say, you know, it's maybe this category, that category, or that court category. But when I ask you, what was the worst day of your life? What was the day that happened that when it happened, you knew things were never going to be the same and you never wished that day would have happened. In fact, you wouldn't wish that day on your worst enemy. What was that day? And what was the day after like? The weeks after like, the months after like, perhaps for you, the years after like. Well, Joseph on the worst day of his life probably has a worse day than most of us where he gets sold by his brothers into slavery and life will never be the same. Again, he gets sold to this guy named Potiphar. And as Joseph goes to this guy Potiphar's house, his life has now shifted in a direction that he never would have anticipated. Now, now here's why I say that. Here's why, frankly, I love the scripture. Because the scriptures never say life is going to be perfect. The scriptures never say life is going to be easy. But the reality is, is they give us insight to say, what do you do the day after, the week after, the month after, the worst day in your life where life has all of a sudden taken a shift and taken a turn and that dream that you once had feels like it's dead. That vision that you once had, that calling that you once had feels like it's dead. What do you do the day after, the worst day of your life? Well, for Joseph, he gets sold into Potiphar's house again. We're going to pick the story up in chapter 39. Now, Joseph, Genesis chapter 39, had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, 
The captain of the guard, and, and uh, what this kind of meant that he was the captain of the guard, meant that uh, Pharaoh was the king. Pharaoh, Egypt, was the world's superpower at the time. Uh, Pharaoh, who was, you know, Pharaoh, again, king, um, had a palace guard. This was kind of like their equivalent of the secret service. And so Potiphar was a really important guy because Potiphar was like the head of the secret service of Egypt that was looking after Pharaoh. So he was the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, and he had b- bought him from the Ishmaelites who had bought, brought him down there. Verse 2, but the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, which I think we would all have to pause and say, okay, <clears throat> let's define success here, because you are a slave. You once had this vision of success that was grandeur, that was my brothers are going to, my brothers are going to bow down to me. But Joseph is now in slavery. Joseph is now somehow working, somehow doing, somehow creating, somehow being diligent with, with this whatever responsibility God has given him in slavery. It continues on. He became a successful man. He was in the house of the Egyptian master. And his master, verse 3, saw that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Now, now this is, this is pretty um, counterintuitive. And, and here's, here's what happens. Joseph, on the back end of the worst day of his life, instead of checking out, decides to lean in. Joseph, instead of saying, okay, this is not my plan. This is not my calling. God, you gave me a dream, and this ain't it. Joseph steps back, and he starts to work. Joseph starts to step, as he steps back, Joseph starts to say, I am going to do whatever, I, wherever I am, I'm going to do it as well and as best as I possibly can. Potiphar sees that, says, Joseph, here you go, I want to give you more. Joseph, here you go, I want to give you more. Joseph, here you go, I want to give you more. To the point where Joseph now is in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. It, it, it goes on in verse 6 to explain this. So he, being Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him being Joseph, he, Potiphar, had no concern about anything but the food he ate. No, I want you to imagine that. Let's just take that same uh, thought process of where you work. I want you to imagine that in your job, you don't get the promotion that you thought you were going to get. You don't get the, the career advancement. You don't get the hire that you thought you were going to get. And instead of just being angry, instead of being frustrated, instead of venting about your boss, and I can't believe that person got that thing instead of me, I'm, I'm obviously somewhere, so much more deserving. I want you to imagine you do the opposite. You lean in. You do more. You work harder. Now, let me contrast with what I think is many of our reaction to that. When we don't get what we want, we don't get aggressive in becoming the people that God called us to be. For most of us, we get passive aggressive about what's holding us back. We don't get aggressive about being the person that God has called us to be and leaning into it. We get passive aggressive and we complain about all the exterior circumstances and things that are going on. Now, you got to think about this. You got to think about this. This is how God oftentimes works. And here's the principle. God 
oftentimes uses times of, of obscurity to develop our competency. God oftentimes uses those times of obscurity to develop our competency. Because here, here's what was going to happen to Joseph. Little known to Joseph. Joseph had no clue this was coming. But Joseph would one day be put in charge of all of Egypt. Joseph had no clue. But he would one day be put in charge of all of Egypt. And Joseph, in this time where he had no clue, he leans into and says, yeah, this is a, man, a monumental, this is a mammoth disappointment. But I'm going to lean into the work that God has for me, as opposed to leaning out of what I think should have happened and could have happened and would have happened. And so Joseph begins to become diligent. In fact, he is diligent. Now pause. Joseph's diligent, by the way, diligence, was not a momentary diligence. It was not a temporal diligence. Joseph was in this position for about a decade. So I want you to imagine, right, you graduate, you're in your early 20s. And things don't go according to plan. And not for like the next like month, not for the next, you know, 12 months, but like for the next 120 months, you were just diligent, 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 diligent. You were just growing, growing, growing in your ability and your capacity. I would dare say this. Joseph would not have been prepared to run the nation of Egypt had he not leaned in at Potiphar's house. And here's why. God uses times of obscurity to grow our gifting, our calling, and our competency. He continues on. In verse 6, now Joseph... Just wants to give him a shout out real quick. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So Joseph was a beautiful man, okay? In fact, there's only like two or three people in the, in the Old Testament that it says that this guy was like a good looking dude. But Joseph was a beautiful man. Verse 7, <laughs> and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything in, that he has in charge or in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me except you because you are his wife. Now listen to this. How then can I do this great wickedness? And we would normally think in sin against Potiphar, right? Because Potiphar is the one who has entrusted him. Potiphar is the one who's given him all this stuff. In fact, he just said, you know, no, let me think about my master, man, Potiphar. He's just, he's, he's trusted me with everything. In fact, you know, if you were to compare us in this house, I actually have just as much authority as he does. The only thing he hasn't given me is you. To which Potiphar's wife would say, but, but still, come on. He said, no, 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 I can't sin against God. Let me tell you why this is so incredible. Because for many of us, We, when we feel like we have disappointed God, it's easy, it's so easy to, in so many different ways, minimize our sin and for us to sin against God. It's so easy for us to minimize the consequence of what we're doing. It's so easy for so many of us to minimize and say, it's really not that big of a deal. And we trivialize and trivialize and trivialize our sin and say, you know what? And I'm in a bad situation anyways. And what does my obedience even 
matter. But, but Potiphar, I mean, Joseph looks at this and says, man, man, Potiphar's given me all this, but let me be clear. Miss, Miss Potiphar, with all due respect, if I sin, if I do this, I'm sinning against God here. Now, now she doesn't really care in this situation. So she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. He just wouldn't listen. He wouldn't do it. And and you know how this is. It's easy to say no to sin once. But when sin comes knocking day after day after day after day after day, it's so easy to give in. Verse 11, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. So she's sitting there saying, you know, come lie with me. He's got his, you know, robe on. He tries to run away. She grabs the robe, perhaps like pulls it off. And and he's saying, holy cow, I got to get out of here. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and he had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in the house to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until the master came home. So she's developing this plan. I'm going to frame Joseph. Verse 17, she told him the same story. Saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried... He left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. So Potiphar hears about what's going on. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way that your servant treated me. His anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined and they were in the prison. So Joseph is now in prison. Potiphar hears this because Potiphar's so high up in the guard. He says, Pharaoh, I need you to kind of work me a deal real quick. And here's what I need you, here's what I need you to do. I need you to, to find this guy, Joseph, who, you know, he just tried some stuff with my wife. Man, I put him in charge of everything. I can't believe he did that. And, and you know, Pharaoh, I want you to put him in your jail, the, the really secure jail, the jail where I know he's not getting out. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. And this is crazy. I want you to, again, I want you to imagine. What do you do after the worst day of your life has just been trumped by the second worst day or maybe the first worst day of your life on top of that? Because it was bad enough that he was in prison, but he probably started to develop kind of like a cushiness about his job. He was in charge of everything. Master didn't worry about anything. Now this lady lies about him. In the heels of lying about him, he gets thrown in prison. As if slavery wasn't bad enough, he now gets thrown in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. This was crazy. I don't know if this is um, irresponsible on the prison guard or Joseph is just a man. You got to think about this. Dude's a prisoner, 
but leans into where God has him so well that he is now in charge of the entire prison. All the prisoners, Joseph says it, they do it. The prison guard just kicks his feet up, relaxes, you know, hops onto the lazy boy and chills because Joseph is now on the scene. He was the one who did it, verse 22. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Now, again, you have to have an extraordinary amount of trust to be the prison, you know, over the prison. He says, man, I'm just not even going to pay attention to what's going on with Joseph because my dude is so diligent. Because the Lord was with, it, was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now, here's what I want to kind of focus in on for the last few minutes that we're together. When Joseph... When Joseph's life didn't go according to plan, Joseph not only didn't check out, he leaned in. And when he leaned in, God developed his character and his competency in obscurity. God developed his character and his confidence or his competency in obscurity. God was about to use Joseph in an incredible way. God had a gifting and a calling that was placed on Joseph's life. God gave Joseph the ability and the skill set of leadership. But the truth was, is in Joseph's life, Joseph, when he should have leaned out, he leaned in. And Joseph, again, was about to get put over so much stuff, so much responsibility, so many people. That Joseph had to go through this process of development. Or else Joseph wouldn't have had the ability to lead, to be competent enough to lead, to be competent enough to delegate. And let me, let me say this. There's no way if Joseph couldn't run Potiphar's house that he could have been able to run Egypt. There's no way if he couldn't have run the palace guard, then he would have been able to run Egypt. In fact, talking about character... What we think is oftentimes our character is attacked most in obscurity. when We're kind of alone by the side and, and all that. But some people who have had a lot of power have said the true test of a man or the true test of a woman or the true test of a leader is not what they do in obscurity, but what they do when they have all the power. When you are the most powerful person, the most important person in the room. What do you do? And Joseph could have leaned out, but instead developed his character or allowed God to develop his character and his competency. So let me ask a couple questions. What do you do? What do you do when it's not the job, when it's not the life, when it's not the direction that you thought it would. What do you do when you feel like perhaps God has abandoned you because you saw it going this way in this direction? Let me ask you maybe a better question. What responsibilities to develop your competency are you currently perhaps leaning out of that God is calling you to lean into? That you know deep down in order to be the person, in order to be the leader, in order to fill the gifting, the calling that God has called you to. What things are you leaning out of that God has called you to lean into? And in addition to that, 
What little maybe subtle nuanced character deficiencies, sinful deficiencies are you leaning out of that again, you know God has called you to lean into? You see, we live in a day and an age that it's so easy for leaders to fall. It's so easy to, for leaders to fall. It's so easy for people in general to fall that you've been given this platform, you've been given this ability, and, and, and we just wash it away. And you want to know why? Because it's so easy for our platform to outgrow our character. Let me, let me ask it this way. Here's, here's a little bit different of a spin to ask about character and your passion for God. Does your public persona of your passion for God exceed your private devotion to God? Do the people around you think you're more in love with Jesus than you actually are? You see, for many of us that were Christians, we're great at projecting, we're great at pretending, but let me just ask, is it possible that God is using this time in life to do something in us, to refine in us this personal passion for him. Because for many of us, I think God wants to do incredible things. Though it might not look how we thought it was going to look. Perhaps it's not going to look the same. Perhaps it's going to look greater. Perhaps it's going to look less than. But I think for all of us, God is not done with us. God is doing something. But the question is, is how is God using this current season to develop your character and your competency, especially if you're at a place in life where it's seemingly in obscurity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for this time that we have. And I pray for all of us. God, we all have been down this road. We've all been down this path. But God, I pray that you would work inside of us, do something in us, convict us, compel us. God, please don't let our private devotion be exceeded by our public persona of our passion for you, Jesus. We know that you died on the cross for us, not just so we could simply look like it and pretend like it, but so that we could actually love you, have a relationship with you. And I pray for anybody in here whose life has just disappointed them. God, you would give us the awareness and the ability to follow after you, to love you, to be passionate for you, our King Jesus. Please help us. Please compel us to be more like you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.